Hi everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we are going to be talking about the case of Harvey Glattman. So Harvey was a serial killer. It's been a while since my last serial killer on the podcast and Harvey Glattman might be one of the more unknown serial killers, like I wouldn't be surprised if you've never heard of him before, but that does not make his crimes any less horrific. Oh no. And just to put things into perspective, Harvey Glattman was the main source of inspiration for one of the most notorious serial killers in history, the one and only Dennis Rader, aka the BTK killer. Yes, that's right, a young Dennis Rader, the BTK killer, i.e. bind, torture and kill, was obsessed with Harvey Glattman because when Dennis was just 13 years old, he came across a magazine in his dad's car which detailed the crimes of the serial killer Harvey Glattman and Dennis found Harvey's crimes so fascinating that he actually got himself off on the magazine, which I think you all know what I'm talking about when I say he got himself off. And I always just find it so weird when I say, oh, this serial killer inspired this serial killer. I just find that so crazy. And I have spoken about that many times. There have been many cases that I have covered now where I say, oh, this person was inspired by Ted Bundy or this person was inspired by Jeffrey Dahmer. There have even been serial killers inspired by Dennis Rader, the BTK killer. And normally it is those really notorious serial killers that we all know about that are the inspiration to serial killers that follow them. But what is just really strange about today's case is that Harvey Glattman is pretty much an unknown serial killer, but he was one of the main inspirations for one of the worst serial killers that the world has ever seen. So that is what we're going to be getting into today. Harvey Glattman, who is pretty much a classic serial killer, but also inspiration to Dennis Rader which is always lovely, isn't it? Yes, we have a lovely case today, not. So let's just dive in. So Harvey Glattman was born on the 10th of December, 1927, making him a Sagittarius. Now he was born in the Bronx, New York, and he lived with his mother, Ophelia, his dad, Albert, and he was an only child. Now from a very, very young age, Harvey was displaying behavior that is definitely not normal. So as a toddler, Harvey pretty much didn't display any interest in anything. Like he had zero interest in everything. Like he didn't want to play with toys. Like he just didn't care about anything. It was a very weird situation for a toddler. And he had no interest in making friends or socializing. And I just feel like that's kind of weird for a toddler. Like imagine putting a toy in front of a toddler, like they're gonna wanna play with it. But Harvey was the complete opposite to that. He just wasn't doing the normal things that you would expect a toddler to do. And this carried on when he was three and when he was four, like he just didn't change. And his parents were pretty concerned about this. And then this next bit, I do feel a bit uncomfortable talking about, I'm not gonna lie because he's three years old and you will understand why. So. Harvey is three years old and his mother, Ophelia, walked into his bedroom one day and she found her son with a piece of string and one end of the string was attached to a chest of drawers and then the other end of the string 
Harvey had attached to his penis and Ophelia found her son Harvey in this position but Harvey was also leaning back against the string you know tugging you know it's it's uncomfortable isn't it and I just can't imagine his mom walking in on that it's like what do you do? He's three years old. That's just not normal. Like the string and everything for a three-year-old, that's not normal. Where did he learn that? Now, a lot of the reporting on this case said that Harvey was clearly experimenting with sadomasochistic acts and that the act was a form of masturbation. And I just find this really hard to believe because he's three. He's three years old. I find it really hard to believe that a three-year-old is sexually driven to that. Like, I don't know. I don't know anything about child development, okay? And it wasn't exactly something that I wanted to Google. And while I was doing my research, there was some speculation that Harvey may have been sexually abused because a behavior like that coming from a three-year-old, it's not normal because it's kind of like, where did they learn that? Like, how were they exposed to that as a three-year-old? I don't know if Harvey was sexually abused or anything like that, but there was definitely a lot of speculation about that. I just can't buy that it was sexually driven at three years old. Like he came to that on his own. However, we do find out that later on in life, Harvey definitely had a troubling outlook on sex. And some of the sexual assaults that he goes on to commit do involve rope. So yeah, clearly these acts that he was carrying out at three years old, whether he was sexually abused or learned that behavior from somebody else, or if he did come to the conclusion that he wanted to do that himself, it clearly had an impact on him. And then not much is really known about Harvey's childhood from that moment on, but his parents, um, they definitely were hoping that that behavior would stop on its own, but let me just say it didn't. So now Harvey is 12 years old and the family are relocating to Denver, Colorado. And as with a lot of these cases that I cover, it pretty much seems like every single case at this point, Harvey didn't have the best time in school. Harvey would constantly get teased about his appearance. He would get teased about his large ears. He also got teased for having acne and the kids would call him nicknames like Weasel and Chipmunk. And this was constant teasing. It was relentless. And all of this teasing led Harvey to become absolutely terrified at being around girls. Whenever a girl would even just talk to Harvey, he would turn bright red. He was absolutely terrified of girls. And Harvey was just never able to make any kind of even friendship with girls. And this is definitely something that carried on to his adult life. He just never ever could form any relationships with girls. But the troubles in school were not the only thing going on in Harvey's life at this point, because at 12 years old, Harvey had started to display an interest in sexual activity in some pretty unusual ways. So one day Harvey's parents returned home and they found Harvey in the bathroom. He was hanging from the rafters on a piece of rope, masturbating at the same time. And it wasn't just a one-time thing because Harvey had developed a real big obsession with rope. He had started to incorporate rope into his sexual experimentation and he became absolutely fascinated with auto erotic asphyxiation and his parents were very concerned about him because obviously they were concerned about him when he was three years old they were hoping that this 
unusual sexual activity for a child was going to go away on its own, but it clearly wasn't. They tried to discipline him. They tried to take away the rope, like try and prevent any rope being in the house. They even took Harvey to the doctors and the doctors were just saying, oh, this is nothing to worry about. Like it's just a boy. He's just experimenting. Boys will be boys. And all they did was they prescribed him some pills and sent him on his way. And I cannot even tell you how much that saying, boys will be boys, frustrates the hell out of me. So his parents were pretty much doing anything to put a stop to this, but obviously nothing was working and Harvey's behavior only escalated from here. So Harvey's sexual experimentation that was going on behind closed doors wasn't satisfying him anymore because so far Harvey is just doing his own thing, you know, he's experimenting. He's not harming anyone right now. So is there really anything that wrong with what he's doing? I mean, obviously you've got to kind of remember the time period that we're in right now because if he is like 12, 13, I'll put my maths to the test. We're in like 1940, 3940 right now, which obviously back then pretty much everything was a taboo. But like I said, it wasn't satisfying him anymore doing it behind closed doors. He started to fantasize about being in the presence of a woman, but not just that, he wanted to dominate a woman. He longed to touch a woman and he planned on acting out these fantasies that he was having. And Harvey started by going around his neighborhood and spying on women and girls just in their homes. So he was a peeping Tom, basically, and that is where it started. But then it escalated into Harvey breaking into their homes. Harvey would break into people's homes and fortunately most of the time no one was in when Harvey started to do this and he would start to steal things from their homes. He would steal like the odd ornament or piece of clothing. It would just be something very small that Harvey could keep as kind of a trophy but Harvey felt like when he stole from these people's homes he felt like he had power and control over the women because obviously it was always the women's belongings that he would steal. He even broke into one house and stole a gun and then after he stole a gun the next house that he broke into he broke into the house and the woman was home. He broke in with the gun in hand and a rope. And then once Harvey was in the home, he held the woman at gunpoint and forced her into her bedroom. He then tied her hands with rope. He put a gag in her mouth. He then started to feel her breasts over her shirt. And then after that, Harvey just left, which is a pretty quick escalation if you ask me. Like he first got him breaking into homes, stealing the odd thing, getting a little bit of pleasure of having control over women by stealing their possessions to now full-on sexual assault. He's just a teenager at this point. It was actually pretty wishy-washy the ages that Harvey was when he was doing this. He can't be any more than like 14 at this time. Like he's still so young and he's doing this. And unfortunately, it doesn't stop there. If anything, it actually gets worse from here because now that he's done it this one time, he now has the confidence that he can do it again. And this lasts for the majority of the rest of his 
teenage years. And he was just repeating this pattern over and over again, breaking into women's homes, holding them at gunpoint, tying them up, sexually assault them. It usually was Harvey feeling their body whilst they had their clothes still on. Sometimes he would partly undress the women and then feel them up underneath their clothes. And then it eventually escalated to Harvey touching these women whilst masturbating. And then sometimes he um, did this thing where after he would sexually assault the women and after he'd masturbate, he would make the women cuddle with him on the sofa and he would just watch some TV. He would just put on a couple of episodes of a sitcom and cuddle on the sofa with these women like they were boyfriend and girlfriend. And then a lot of times as well, Harvey would make his victims pose for photographs. And this is very, very significant because this is definitely Harvey's signature style taking photographs. And then after he had done all of that, Harvey would just leave. And after every single time Harvey would break into a woman's house, his confidence only gained from there. So each time Harvey would break into a woman's home, the sexual assault, the behavior, everything got slightly worse because he was slightly more confident than the time before. And Harvey started to thrive off the fear of women. That is what actually got him off. The fear, the fear in their eyes, that is what turned him on. And because the women were afraid of him, that made him feel powerful. Now, eventually, after years of getting away with all of these breakings, and I mean years, he is eventually caught because he had started to become careless. And he was caught for the very first time when he was 17. The police actually caught him breaking into someone's home and in his possession, he had rope and a gun. He was arrested and charged with first degree robbery. Now, yes, he's 17, but he should be going to like some juvenile detention center at something, but he didn't, did he? He actually served no prison time because his mom got him out on a $2,000 bail. Less than a month after being let out on bail, he was at it again, but this time, it was even worse because he had now abducted a woman. So this is huge escalation now. I don't really know why he went from breaking into someone's home to um, abducting them. Maybe he thought that it was less risky. I don't know, but he abducted this woman. He drove her out into the middle of nowhere. He sexually assaulted her and the sexual assault was the same that he was doing before. He was touching her body and then he just drove her home. Thankfully, the woman immediately reported him and Harvey was now arrested and he was charged. And this time he didn't get bail because obviously he had reoffended. So you would think that because he has reoffended whilst out on bail, because I assume he had some conditions to his bail, like not doing certain things. So you would think that because he is now reoffended out on bail and he has no intentions of stopping, you would think that the judge giving him the prison sentence would give him a decent amount of time, wouldn't you? Because he is a danger to all women around him. He has no intentions of stopping. Well, you would be wrong, unfortunately, because the judge decided that he was only going to get a year one year in prison. And guess what? After Harvey served that one year, he was out and he was back offending. But this time Harvey tries to be clever about his offending because 
he decides that he doesn't want to actually carry a real gun with him anymore because he knows that if he gets caught again and he has a real gun, the prison sentence is going to be longer. But he still wants a gun because that is how he gets the women under control. So what does he do? He decides to buy a toy gun. Now this toy gun seemed to be pretty convincing because everyone that he came across with this toy gun thought it was a real gun. After this second time in prison as well, Harvey does relocate back to New York. Remember that is where he was born. His mom actually allowed him to relocate back to New York because she thought that her son Harvey was going to be on the straight and narrow now. He's going to go to New York and he's going to start fresh. He's going to be on the right track and he's not going to offend again. When actually he just wanted to move to New York because it was a bigger hunting ground essentially. So he's now in New York and he wastes no time trying to find his next victim. So it is midnight on the 17th of August 1946. Harvey approaches a couple who is a man and a woman called Thomas and Doris and this is a huge escalation because prior to this situation, Harvey had only ever gone after women when they were on their own. So the fact that he's going up to a couple now, you can see how much his confidence has grown, which is truly terrifying. So Harvey approaches this couple, he pulls out his toy gun, which does look pretty convincing, and he held the couple at gunpoint and ordered them down a side street. Harvey then tied Thomas up with rope. He made Thomas lie on a grass area. He stole his wallet. He then held Doris at gunpoint by pointing his toy gun into her stomach. He then started to sexually assault her by feeling her breasts. He was repeatedly saying that he would shoot her if she tried to escape. Meanwhile, Thomas is still tied up. He's witnessing all of this. Currently, he feels completely powerless to the whole situation, but Harvey is distracted enough. He actually manages to break free from his rope. He immediately jumped up and started to fight off Harvey. Harvey then pulled out a knife and stabbed Thomas in the shoulder. And then after that, Harvey just ran away. He was clearly spooked because he hadn't planned for this. This is the first time that he had approached a couple and things didn't exactly go to plan, did they? And thankfully the couple managed to walk away from this attack because it could have gone so much worse than it did. But after this moment, Harvey did change his tactics a little bit because from this moment, he did not approach another couple. He decided, okay, I'm just gonna have to go back to my original MO and just approach women on their own. And this is what he continued to do multiple times. The exact number is not actually known, but he was doing it pretty much every single day. So who knows what the actual figure is, but he was just repeating the same thing over and over again. He would get his toy gun. He would hold women at gunpoint. He would take them down a side alley, just somewhere quiet away from everybody else. He would molest them and then flee from the scene. Again, thankfully, the police managed to catch up to him, but the amount of lives that he would have destroyed doing what he was doing before the police actually could catch up to him because a lot of the women were too scared to even come forward to report him. But the police did manage to catch up to him and arrest him. Thankfully, he was given a longer sentence this time, but still, it's not that long in the grand scheme of things when you actually think what he's done and how many times he's done it. So he was sentenced to five to 10 years in prison. And this is when Harvey is only 18 years old. I think it's very easy to forget how young he is because he has done so much in such 
a short space of time, this is now the second time he is going to prison at just 18 years old. So Harvey is now in prison for the second time. He is in prison in New York now. And apparently when he is in prison, he is a quote, model prisoner. So therefore he gets released early. It really annoys me sometimes, this whole model prisoner thing, because I do get for some crimes, if you are a model prisoner, you should be released early, but then there are other crimes like sexual assault, where it shouldn't really matter how you behave in prison. You have still sexually assaulted this many people and should serve time in prison. But he was released after only two years, but he was released back into his mom's custody and he had to spend the next five years at his mom's house basically under kind of house arrest it wasn't house arrest though because he was allowed out of the house he basically was just on conditions after being released from prison and during these five years that he was at his mom's house under parole he was perfect nothing happened he didn't commit any crimes and unfortunately harvey's mom now thinks that her son has been reformed seriously he hasn't he is a sexual predator he's not being reformed now harvey uh, God, didn't want to go back to prison. So the logical answer to not going back to prison would be to not commit a crime. But Harvey didn't think like that because he still wanted to sexually assault women. So Harvey started to think to himself, okay, how am I going to get away with it then? Because I'm still going to do it. I'm not going to stop. And he came to the conclusion that he was going to murder his victims because in Harvey's eyes, the only reason he had been caught was because he let his victims live and they lived and then they reported him. So his conclusion is to murder people. And this is the part of the story where Harvey becomes the terrible serial killer that we spoke about in the beginning of the video. So at the age of 28, which is the age that Harvey was when his parole ended, Harvey was ready to take his crimes to the next level which was murder, but he first had to decide where he was going to go. He wanted to go to a different place. He had done Denver, he had done New York City, like where was the next place that he was going to go? He was known to authorities in Denver, he was known to authorities in New York City, he needed to go to a new place. So where did he decide to go? LA. This decision was actually pretty intentional. So remember that I briefly mentioned that um, Harvey used to take photographs of his victims. Well, he actually did have a pretty big passion for photography and unfortunately he was pretty good at it. So he decided to go to LA because there would be work for him there as a photographer, and he decided that he would be able to take advantage of his skills as a photographer in a very disturbing way because LA was full of young women wanting to be actresses, models, that would be willing to communicate, interact with a photographer. And this is in the late 50s that he moves to LA. And there are so many women moving to LA with the hopes of being the next big thing. Everyone wanted to be the next Marilyn Monroe. But obviously, as it still is today, competition is tough. It's not easy. So a lot of the times, the women that were aspiring actresses, models, 
would just take any job that came their way. Quite often, they would sign up to agencies that wouldn't have their best interests at heart. These agencies just wanted money. They didn't care about the women that were signed to them. All they wanted to do was make money. And they would often set up modeling jobs for the women with photographers. And sometimes the women didn't really know what the job was. And sometimes they were put into situations where they weren't exactly safe. Sometimes as well, the women wouldn't always know what the job was before they arrived. Like some of the women had to pose without clothes on, but they wouldn't know that until they were there. So they couldn't decide whether they wanted to do that or not prior. And these agencies just didn't care about these women at all. There were no safety checks. There was no vetting of the photographers or anyone working on the set. The agency's motto was basically, oh, just go, get paid. That simple. And quite often the women would be put in a situation where it was just them and it was just a photographer in the room. And it was very clear to the women that the photographer was just taking photos of them to get their kicks. And this is exactly the situation that Harvey Glattman decided to take advantage of because he turns up in LA, he wastes no time, he buys a car, he sets up a photography studio, which turns out to just be his apartment. And he starts advertising himself as a legitimate photographer. And he was basically advertising his services as I can make you into the next star. However, we know that Harvey couldn't do this and we all know what what his disturbing intentions really were. So on the 1st of August, 1957, Harvey speaks on the phone with a woman called Judy Dull. Judy was a 19 year old single mom. She had a 14 month old daughter. She was currently going through a divorce, quite a nasty divorce. So she needed money for lawyers, etc. And she was living in an apartment in West Hollywood with two other women who were also aspiring models. And she was signed to one of those agencies that I just said. And the agency one day called her up and said, hey, we've got a man that wants to do a photo shoot with you. Um, here's his number, call him up. And that man was Harvey Glattman. So Judy ends up speaking to Harvey and Harvey is saying all of this crap that he is a legitimate photographer, he can make her into the next big thing and he wants to put her on the front cover of a magazine. And he offers Judy a decent amount of money and Judy is in desperate need of money. So she agrees to the job. And just before the phone call ends, Harvey says to Judy, quote, wear a tight skirt and sweater. So Judy arrives at Harvey's photography studio, which we obviously know is just his apartment. She is wearing a tight skirt and a sweater and she's a little bit apprehensive. She was a little bit wary. Her instincts are saying there's something off about this situation. She doesn't quite feel good about it. But then Harvey answers the door and Harvey does look a little bit geeky. He is a very petite man and she is immediately relieved at what he looks like because she's like, oh, thank God he's not like a creep. Now, once Judy is inside, Harvey starts to tell her about the magazine that he wants to put her on the cover of. So he wants to put her on the cover of like a crime detective magazine. I think they were called pulp fiction magazines. And on the cover of these detective magazines, there would often be 
women posing as victims. He was telling Judy, like, this is what I want you to do. And he said that the crime story that they were currently running that was going to be on the cover was about torture and bondage. So in order for her to fit the story, to fit the victim, he would need to tie her up, gag her, and she would need to look terrified. And obviously this was just complete BS. There was no magazine, there was no magazine cover, there was no article. This was just Harvey's sick and twisted narrative to get his victims to give him consent to tie them up and gag them, which is honestly one of the sickest things I've ever heard because he is literally getting his victims to say, yeah, tie me up, gag me, when they have no idea what he's actually going to do to them, that is another level. It's just absolutely disgusting how he manages to manipulate these innocent women into consensually being tied up and gagged. And this is what he would do. He would tie their hands behind their back. He would bind their ankles to something. Sometimes it was a post, sometimes it was a bed, sometimes it was a chair. He would then place a gag in their mouth. And then he had the nerve to ask the women to pose as a victim, to look terrified, to pretend that someone is trying to murder them. And they all did this consensually which is honestly unbelievable when you when you think about it. They all posed as terrified victims. They were all bound and gagged. And these pictures are online. You can go and see these. Harvey had convinced all of these women that they were going to be on a magazine cover, that they were going to be a part of this article. So they all did this willingly. But then Harvey would go on to sexually assault and murder these women in the most horrific way. And he would take photos of the whole process, which was definitely his MO, the photos. He loved the photos. And what I actually found pretty interesting, and I couldn't believe this, but Harvey Glattman was the first ever serial killer to take photos of his victims. The photos to Harvey were very important to him. They were his trophies. He would keep all of the photographs together. He would actually keep them all in a toolbox. And he had a very specific way of taking photos of his victims. He had a specific sequence that he would follow for every victim. So the first set of photos that he would take were of the women looking happy looking innocent. They were just kind of like test shots. He would then tie the women up and bound and gag them. He would then ask the women to pretend to be frightened as if someone is murdering them. So he then would take a photo of them pretending to be scared. He would then pull out a gun and point it at the women. So the women were actually genuinely scared. He would then take a photo of that. He would then sexually assault the women. He would then murder the women and then he would also take photos of their dead bodies. And this sequence was very, very important to Harvey. He did the same sequence for every victim. And it's just so horrible to think about because you can actually see all of these photos online and you can see the photos where the women are pretending to be scared. So you can see in their eyes, they don't look too scared. But then we all know what happens after that photo and it's just absolutely horrible. So going back to Judy inside of Harvey's apartment, she has currently allowed herself to be tied up and gagged. Right now, she thinks that everything is above board. She thinks that everything is okay. So she happily complies with everything that Harvey wants. She thinks that 
this is just the job. However, Judy would find out that Harvey's intentions were a lot more sinister. So Harvey went through his sequence of photographs. He started off happy and innocent. He then went to the stage victim photos. He then pulled out his gun, took some more photos, and then he said to Judy that he was going to have sex with her. And if she said no, he would kill her. Harvey then raped Judy several times. And this is actually a pretty big deal because Harvey has now escalated from molesting to rape. And this is the first time that he had ever had full intercourse with a woman. After being raped several times, Harvey then forced Judy to cuddle with him on the sofa. And then they watched a couple of sitcom episodes together and Harvey promised Judy that he would take her home after. But sadly, this is not what Harvey had intended at all because instead, when they got in the car, Judy thought that she was being driven home but Harvey drove her out into the middle of the desert. He then ordered her out of the car. She was still bound, by the way, at this point. He then placed a rope around Judy's neck and he started to strangle her until tragically Judy lost her life. Following the murder, Harvey then took out his camera again and proceeded to take photos of Judy's body. He did pose her in certain positions and he took as many photos as he could. And then he just drove off. He left Judy's body just in the middle of the desert. Following this murder, Harvey did have a mm, kind of a long cool down period. It was around seven months, but after seven months, he was at it again. Clearly he had taken that seven months and he was satisfied. He was reliving that murder through the photos that he had taken, but it had gotten to a point where he needed to commit murder again. So he abducted a woman. Her name was Shirley Bridgeford and he followed the same terrible routine all over again. He bound and gagged Shirley. He sexually assaulted her. He drove her out into the desert in the middle of the night and then he strangled her with a rope. All through he took photos photos of every stage. He followed his same sequence of photos. But there is one really horrific part to Shirley's murder. So when he drove Shirley out to the desert, it was too dark to take photos because it was in the middle of the night. So he made Shirley lie there pretty much waiting for her death until the sun came up so he could take photos of her. And after he had taken all of the photos that he wanted as the sun began to set again, Harvey then murdered Shirley and just left her body in the middle of the desert and he fled the scene. And then just four months later, he's at it again. The cooldown period has pretty much nearly halved. So that's definitely an escalation. That means that he's losing control. The feeling of the high of the murder is not feeling the same anymore. He's not able to relive it as many times through the photos that he has taken, which is truly terrifying when a serial killer is losing control. So again, he went through an agency and he was put in touch with a woman called Ruth Mercado. And he pretty much followed the same exact Thing. He took photos of her, he sexually assaulted her, he then murdered her and took more photos. And he disposed of Ruth's body not too far away from where Shirley's body was. So Harvey had now committed three murders and so far he had gone away with it. He was building in confidence. His cooldown period is getting shorter, which is obviously terrifying. And with his confidence came complacency. And his downfall would actually be his next victim, who was a 28-year-old woman called Lorraine 
Weigel. Lorraine was currently modeling through a Hollywood agency, very similar story. And one day she got a phone call from her agency saying that this man wanted to take photos of her. The agency told Lorraine though, that they were pretty sure that the man who wanted to take photos of her was a creep, but she should just go anyway, get over it get her money. The agency flat out admitted that he was a creep. So the agency should have just shut it down right there and then, but they didn't. And the agency put Harvey in contact with Lorraine and Lorraine wasn't very comfortable with the situation, but she was desperate for money and she agreed to the job. So one day in late 1958, Harvey picks Lorraine up and he tells her that they're going to a photography studio in LA. But as they're driving, Lorraine starts to notice that they're heading in the complete wrong direction. I mean, he was taking all of these random wrong turns. He was just going in the complete wrong direction. He was heading out of the city. And Lorraine kept asking him like, where are you going? But every time she would even say anything, Harvey would just tell her to shut up. So immediately all of these warning signs are going off in Lorraine's head. She's getting really bad vibes about Harvey. And then she remembers that her agency did kind of warn her about this guy and said how much of a creep he was. So she starts shouting at Harvey to pull over the car, let her out. She wants to get out. And in response to Lorraine, because she wasn't keeping quiet, she was trying to get out of this car he made a dangerous turn on the road. Harvey then said to Lorraine that she was really getting on his nerves and that he was going to tie her up. Lorraine wasn't about to let this happen, but Harvey pulled out his gun. And this was the first time that he pulled out his gun in front of Lorraine. And Lorraine just went into a panic because at that moment she realized just how dangerous the situation was that she was in. But Lorraine wasn't about to give up. She grabbed the door handle to try and make an escape. But Harvey grabbed her before she could get out. He pulled out his rope and tried to tie her arms together. But Lorraine continued to fight back. And this really shook Harvey because no one had fought back quite like Lorraine was. She was kicking and screaming. She was doing everything that she possibly could to get out of that car. And Lorraine actually tried to grab the gun out of Harvey's hands. So both of them currently had their hands on this gun. And then suddenly a shot was fired and the bullet tore through Lorraine's skirt and grazed her thigh, which is so incredibly lucky that no more damage was done. That could have ended so much worse than it did. Because the gun had gone off, this again took Harvey out of the moment and he was distracted for a couple of seconds and Lorraine, very quick thinking, acted. And she actually managed to get herself out of that car with the gun in her hands. She then stood up. She has the gun in her hands and she was pointing that gun directly at Harvey's head. Harvey was now the one that was absolutely terrified. He now finally had a taste of his own medicine. But in that instant, as Lorraine was holding the gun towards Harvey's head, bright flashing lights started to come towards her. It turns out that it was a patrol car. The police 
had seen her. They had seen what had happened. And these two policemen were coming towards Lorraine with their guns raised because they thought that Lorraine was attacking Harvey, which is just crazy that they thought Lorraine was the perpetrator. So they were just shouting at Lorraine for her to drop her gun, which of course she complied because she's innocent. She's now saved because two police officers have arrived. Lorraine started pleading with the police officers, telling them what had actually happened. The police officers searched the car and when they opened the boot of the car, they found everything of Harvey's. They found rope. They found a few other weapons as well. But then they also found some photos of other women that were bound and gagged. So then the police officers turned to Harvey and arrested him and took him down to the police station. Following his arrest, Harvey went through a pretty long interrogation, but by the end of it, Harvey had confessed to all murders, all three murders. He confessed to everything that he did. He wasn't ashamed of it. He wasn't hiding anything. He was proud. He wanted everyone to know. And all of this was recorded on tape. The officers had his full confession. So on the 15th of December 1958, he was sent to trial, which he pled guilty by reason of insanity. And then I don't really know what happened with his insanity plea, if I'm being honest, but the judge decided that he needed to be sentenced and he was either going to go to prison or he would get the death penalty. And the judge listened to Harvey's confession tapes and decided that he was going to be sentenced to death. And that's why I say I don't know what happened with his insanity plea, because it clearly wasn't successful because you can't be sentenced to death if you have a successful insanity plea. And Harvey was a bit of a strange case because he actually wanted the death penalty. He waived all of his rights to appeals. He wanted the process to go as quickly as possible because when you are sentenced to death, there is an automatic appeals process. But Harvey didn't want any of that. He wanted to get executed as quickly as possible. So on the 18th of September, 1959, so not even a year after he was originally arrested, Harvey Glattman, who was aged 31 years old was executed. So linking back to the very beginning of where we talked about BTK. So just after Harvey was executed, his crimes came to light because a magazine, which was one of those crime magazines that Harvey pretended to be a photographer for, decided to run a story on Harvey Glattman. And they decided to put Harvey Glattman on the cover of one of their magazines. But they didn't just decide to put Harvey Glattman on the front cover of their magazines because in a case of very sick and twisted irony, they also put Harvey Glattman's victims on the cover. The magazine decided to use the photos that Harvey had taken of his victims when they were posing to be on a cover of one of those magazines. And it was actually that magazine that Dennis Rader saw BTK. He saw this magazine of Harvey Glattman. He saw what he had done. He saw all the photos. And Dennis, being only 13 years old, picked up this magazine and masturbated over the article on Harvey Glattman. And Harvey was a huge inspiration to Dennis and was a huge inspiration in the kinds of acts as well that Harvey committed. And we all know what Dennis Rader turned into, who was absolutely terrifying, one of the worst serial killers probably ever. And we should end this video focusing on the victims of the story because I didn't really get to tell you much about them during the case because three innocent, very young women lost their lives because of Harvey Glattman. Judy Dull was only 19 years old and she had a daughter. Her daughter was only 14 months old when she was murdered. She had dreams of having a successful model 
tackling Korea. She had so much ahead of her and obviously Judy is a victim but her daughter is also a victim in this because her daughter had to grow up without a mother. Shirley Bridgeford was only 24 years old. She was a mother of two. Again, her children are also victims in this story. Shirley, again, had so much ahead of her. She had so many hopes and dreams for her career. Ruth Mercado was also only 24 years old. She also had dreams of becoming a successful model, having a successful career in the entertainment industry. All three women were incredibly young, so young, way too young, and they were all taken away from their friends and family and children far too soon. They all had so much ahead of them. All of them had dreams of having a successful career and Harvey took advantage of that. And then you've also got the countless of other women that were also his victims. From the age of like 12 years old, Harvey started assaulting women. There are so many victims to this story and it's just so incredibly sad how many lives Harvey has destroyed. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. There are obviously no further updates in the case of Harvey Glattman. So thank you so much everyone for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And I would really love it if you could leave a five-star review if you enjoy the show. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios and I'll see you all in the next one. Next one.